The Old Testament reading, thank you. The Old Testament reading of today is the wonderful Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall woes be performed, O you who answer prayer. To you all flesh shall come, when deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive us our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, you holy temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength you establish the mountains, you are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed with your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its riches, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows close themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. Today, we continue to make our way through Luke's Gospel. We've been doing this since early September, following Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem, story by story, parable by parable, and miracle by miracle. Each of the Gospel writers, even though they tell, a, even though they tell essentially the same story, each of the Gospel writers tells the story in a slightly different way. Each one is writing to a slightly different audience. And each gospel writer, uh, this is one thing they have in common, each gospel writer is introducing us to Jesus, uh, hoping that we will respond and hoping that we will uh, see in him someone we might want to follow, uh, someone we might want to give our lives to. Uh, The gospels, as I uh, hope you already know, are not biographies. In fact, they don't even pretend to be biographies. They were written to make a claim about Jesus and then to provoke this response. A response of faith. And so I invite you to listen to the story today with that in mind. Uh, ask yourself, is this someone I'm attracted to? Is this someone I might want to devote my life to? Uh, our uh, parable is found in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading with the ninth verse if you are following along. Uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Jesus also told this parable for some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious God, we look to you for wisdom and insight, for guidance that will see us through our lives. We confess that what we really want is something that reinforces what we already believe to be true. So today, as we listen for your word to us, we pray that you will surprise us, that you will have an unexpected word for us, a word that will change us forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, uh, I've said this before, in fact, as recently as last week I said it, that Jesus was uh, an exceptional storyteller and apparently quite a charismatic speaker. According to one scholar I uh, I read this week, and maybe this was uh, said tongue-in-cheek, I don't know, but according to one scholar, you could make the case that he was put to death largely out of envy. He was so popular uh, early on, and he was so well-liked, and, and, and people were so interested in what he had to say that he was a threat to the political and religious establishment in Jerusalem. Uh, the verses we heard today, uh, I would say, are a good example uh, of how Jesus worked. He begins by saying, two men went up to the temple to pray. And with that briefest of introductions, we know pretty much what we're going to get. And so we find ourselves drawn in, or I would say, set up. What we're waiting for is the the punchline to the story, and the more unexpected it is, the funnier we will find it. Except that Jesus, as you know, is not a stand-up comic. His punchlines weren't designed for laughs. In fact, his punchlines, if you can call them that, uh, often left his audiences in stunned silence. The conclusion to his stories were so unexpected that his listeners had to think for a few seconds to make sure that he said what they thought he said. In the parable I just read, the, the Pharisee sounds a bit like a caricature. He's not at all an attractive person. And Jesus, like any good storyteller, seems to to have fun describing him. Uh, And uh, him and his arrogant uh, behavior. 2,000 years later, I think we can still uh, appreciate uh, the storytelling involved here. But, and, and this is going to be the reason for the stunned silence at the end, for all of the Pharisee's arrogance and for all of his self-righteousness, Jesus' listeners would still have considered the Pharisee to be morally superior to the tax collector. Jesus often had harsh words for Pharisees, but you had to give them this much 
they were the keepers of the faith. They were the ones who kept Moses' law, and at one level, they were deeply admirable people. Uh, And tax collectors, on the other hand, were the lowest of the low. They committed the one sin that has been unforgivable in every culture in which it it has ever occurred. Uh, Tax collectors collaborated with the foreign occupiers. Uh, They even made quite a, a good living out of it. And so, in spite of the caricature, Jesus' listeners knew, right, from the very first line, who the good guy was and also who the bad guy was. Uh, But not so fast, Jesus says. The one who leaves worship justified or right with God is the one who is not even allowed into the main sanctuary. The one who is justified is the one who is a traitor to his nation. The one who is justified before God is the one in the story uh, 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 all the people truly despised. And yet, because of his sincere repentance, he is the one who goes home in the grip of God's grace. Well, think about that, Jesus says. You you, you think you know all about grace and, and you don't have the first clue about it. Your judgments about people are so utterly different from the judgments that God makes. I want to say something this morning about the judgments that that we make about each other. Uh, Frankly, and I I hesitate to say this, but uh, I can't think of a single area of Christian living that has been more widely misunderstood uh, than this one. There may be others, of course, but this one just stands out. Uh, There is a perception, and I would say it's widespread, that people should not make judgments about each other. To be a faithful Christian, uh, some of us uh, think, means that we avoid making any judgments whatsoever. And and so we tend to admire, don't we, people who are tolerant and and easygoing and non-judgmental. And uh, doesn't Jesus say, elsewhere in the gospel, judge not that ye be not judged. People today can't quote much scripture, but everybody seems to know those words. Judgment is bad. Uh, The truth is, that particular quote has been (laughs) lifted out of scripture, taken out of context, and mangled beyond recognition. Uh, Of course we're called on to make judgments. Where did the notion ever come from that we're not supposed to make judgments about things? And, And even judgments about other people. Uh, In just 15 or 16 days, all of the voters in the U.S. will be called upon to make judgments. Uh, U.S. citizens are are going to be asked to choose between candidates and to come down on on one side or another. And and, and this is true in every country around the world where there is a representative democracy. Uh, It is our duty as citizens to make good judgments. I think developing good judgment is one of the ways, one of the most important ways you get to be an adult in our culture. Uh, You choose not just between right and wrong, but between good and what might be so much better. And those of us who are parents want our children to develop this capacity to make very good judgments. The next time someone says to you, oh, you're so judgmental, you might want to say thank you. (laughs) I've been working my whole life uh, at that. 
Uh, or maybe not. The, the, the point is that making judgments is not the problem. The problem, as Jesus defines it in this parable, is condemnation. The, the problem is not that the Pharisee disapproves of the, the, the tax collector's behavior and his shaky political allegiance. Uh, he has every right to do that. The problem, and, and this is what feels so wrong to us as we read this parable, the problem is that the Pharisee draws comparisons between himself and th this other fellow. The Pharisee says, and it's not clear from the Greek whether he's speaking to himself or to God, although most translations tell us that this is directed to, to God, he may be saying it to himself. You know, thank you God that I am not like this poor soul who is not even allowed to enter the main sanctuary for prayer. And, and I'm glad that I am not like your run-of-the-mill thief and rogue and adulterer. The, the truth is, I'm pleased with myself, and I trust that you are pleased with me too, oh dear Lord. Dallas Willard, until he died in uh, 2013, was a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California in the U.S. He's written a wonderful reflection on... Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's called The Divine Conspiracy, and I recommend it to you. It would be a wonderful book to study in your uh, home group. Uh, in the book, Dallas Willard writes that uh, what often happens to us as we go through life, uh, making our moral judgments, those things we are called to do, uh, is, is that we don't stop there. In, instead, he writes, that what often happens is that we feel a, a need to prove our own righteousness by blaming and, and condemning other people. And so rather than being concerned about our own behavior, we tend to belittle the behavior of others, sometimes in our misguided attempt to straighten them up, to correct them, to admonish them. And Willard, I, I like this, has a phrase for this. He calls this the ministry of condemnation. In the church today, and I think this is true in every church I've ever served, uh, there are people who feel called uh, to this ministry of condemnation or the ministry of criticism. And I must say it's a highly specialized ministry. Fortunately, there are no ordination standards uh, for it, uh, no classes to attend, no uh, evening meetings. Uh, and you don't need to be elected to this ministry at the annual congregational meeting. I mean, you, you simply appoint yourself. And the ministry of condemnation, as, as Willard describes it, almost always involves the, the close examination of what other people do and how other people spend their time. And I like this, what really motivates the behavior of other people within the church, because of course, if you're called to the ministry of condemnation, then you know why other people behave the way they do. It's a special insight that God has bestowed upon you. What Jesus is saying to us here is that uh, blaming and condemnation and baseless assumptions about other people have no part in the kingdom of God. None whatsoever. And I, I, I would go so far as to say that this kind of behavior is destructive and it's a, I mean, it's a cancer on the community of faith and it's, it's that serious, it needs to stop. We live in disturbing times, and I, I don't think I need to give you examples. Uh, our world is polarized, and, and so is the Christian church. We haven't seen this much division in the church in 500 years when people in this part of the world decided to separate themselves from the Catholic church. 
And the question is, what's happened to us? And what has happened to us, this is my sense of it, is that we've gone way beyond making good judgments and wise choices to belittling everyone around us who does not agree with us, with our particular point of view. By the way, you see this behavior on both sides of the political spectrum. This is not a conservative sin, just as it's not a liberal sin. This is human behavior in the the 21st century, pretty much as it was in the first century. Uh, Let me hasten to make this this further uh, comment here. The Bible is surprisingly specific about what we're to do when we know that someone is behaving badly. And, And the implication is that there are certain kinds of behavior that we should not ignore. And that we should not tolerate. But the goal, the goal in addressing those behaviors according to the Bible is always restoration. If someone within the body is behaving badly, the goal is never ever to condemn that person that is God's business and not ours. So our goal is always, insofar as it's possible, to restore that person to the community of faith. If you see behavior in someone else that you cannot in good conscience approve before you do anything, you need to do a careful examination of yourself. I want to make these three points about uh, about that first. You need to be absolutely sure that you are right. Uh, Your moral judgment needs to be thoroughly tested before you just go out and act on it. Uh, Most people I know who make good judgments and and whose opinions about things I truly value are are very modest about their opinions. Haven't you found this to be true? Often they'll preface what they say by saying, well, there may be something I don't know. There may be a piece of information here that is not available to me. That's modesty. And and, and so just to repeat, the, the first thing to do is to be absolutely sure that you are right. The tax collector in the parable focused on his own behavior and no one else's. And Jesus said, well done. Second, you need to ask yourself what sort of outcome you're hoping to achieve. Uh, In other words, before you express disapproval uh, for someone else's behavior uh, or someone else's actions, you need to know what you're hoping to accomplish. If the outcome you're, you're looking to get is anything less than complete restoration, if your aim, for example, is to prove that you are right, and good and decent, and that the other person is wrong, then maybe you need to think a little bit more carefully about what you are trying to do. Only God has the power or the authority to write someone off. And that sort of condemnation is not a part of the human job description. I, for one, don't want that particular responsibility, and I'm wondering if you really do either. I'll add one more. Third, if you see behavior in another person that that you judge to be wrong, you need to respond as though that same thing could happen to you. Now, I know that uh, we are all godly people here and that you all make excellent choices with your lives and that this probably would never happen. But let's just say, for the purpose of argument, this is purely hypothetical, that one day your life goes off track. Let's say further that someone, how should I put this, expresses disapproval for your behavior. 
Someone feels called to tell you about what you have done. You would want that person, wouldn't you, to express disapproval in a way that loves you back into the community of faith. You would want to be respected as a human being. You would want to be taken seriously and treated like a child of God, which is what you are. Therefore, our faith tells us, be sure to treat others in that same way as you yourself would want to be treated in that same situation. Imagine how our political process would change if candidates, and I know I'm being terribly naive about this, but indulge this fantasy for just a moment. Imagine if our political candidates would speak about others as they themselves would want others to speak about them. Imagine how this church would be different if we adopted that same sort of filter for our words. In other words, if before speaking we said, is this the way that I would want someone else to speak about me? Imagine how our families, and I'm including marriages here, imagine how all of that would be different. Maybe we could begin to have conversations around the dinner table that currently are not possible to have. I started this morning by saying that the gospel writers really want a response from us. You know, they, they, they want us to be attracted to a new way of living, and, and they want us to come to the end and say, yes, I want to be his follower. I, I want to identify with him, and I want my life to belong to his. And whenever I read a story like this, I, I, I feel so convicted I'm always that person in the story who gets it wrong, and it, it, but then I feel something else. I remember that there is another way to live. There is this other possibility. What Jesus is, invites us to is, is life lived in the kingdom of God. Not perfection, but moving in that direction. Jesus invites us to something better than we often choose. He, he invites us to, to new life and new hope and new possibility. And this morning, I am encouraging you to respond, to take this offer, which is being offered to you now. I think that there is no other way to live. Would you pray with me? Let us pray. God, for these words that convict us, that shine what is often an uncomfortable light on our lives, We thank you. Our hope is that we go down, we go home justified, made right with you, you given the opportunity to make of our lives what you imagine us to be. I pray this in Christ's name.